If I have to watch one more Hallmark Christmas movie, (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do. It's Marcy's favorite channel. But have you ever noticed, have you ever seen a Hallmark Christmas movie? Okay. What's the plot? It's the same every time. The same plot. The little town in New England, whatever it is, someone's going to close a factory and they go up and they fall in love with somebody and then things get twisted and then Santa Claus shows up somewhere and everything's fine and they drink wassail at the end, right? I'm not sure what it is. But you know, the Christmas story hasn't changed. It never has. We, we may try to look at it differently. We may try to say it in different words. We may try to change up the songs. Nothing wrong with that. But the message is constant. And it's not ever going to get old. It's certainly not boring. We've been talking over these weeks uh, about how through the Bible, from one end to the other, it's a chase, a pursuit. It's God chasing after you and me. That it revolves around the fact that we know that in the beginning there was beauty and wholeness. We've said this every week. In the beginning, that's the way God created the heavens and the earth and put Adam and Eve right there in that perfect place. There was beauty, there was wholeness, but something happened. They chose to turn away. We know that in the future, there's going to be a restoration of this creation of God. That one day, God's going to bring everything back together again. And he is, we're going to move into eternity. That's forever. In his presence. But in the meantime, in this little parenthetical period of time that we call history, we're what? God is pursuing us. He is chasing after us. He has a grand plan. And it involves bringing us back to where we belong. Now, in essence, that's what we celebrate every time we open the Bible, every time we pray, every time we sing a song of praise to Him. It's all about being the kind of people we were intended to be. But through Scripture, you see that God is very methodical about this. He does this pursuing us through covenants. We've been talking about covenants. It's a Bible word. You don't hear it anywhere else except in religious circles. It's not a contract, though it has some similarities. We talked about that. But a covenant is what God initiates. And by and large, even though there are some conditions to some of those covenants we find in the Old Testament, by and large, they are unconditional. It's, it's God initiating the covenant, God signing for everyone involved in keeping the covenant, and God keeps the covenant. Ultimately, we know that ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus. It's in his birth. It's in the manger. It's in his death upon a cross. It's in his resurrection and the fact that he waits for the moment in time that no, one, no man knows. Jesus told us that when, when God will bring all things to their proper end. So God has been doing that through these covenants. 
And we've talked about that ultimate covenant in Jesus. But we've also been lighting some candles. And I hope you don't just breeze by those candles. For centuries, Christians have been, at this time of year, lighting candles to represent these things we've been talking about. Talking about hope. Talking about peace. Referring to the fact that one of those candles all the way through is going to be joy. And finally, the candle that the Reed family lit for us just a few minutes ago. Candle of love. What I want to ask you to do with me this morning is to envision these concepts, these things as presents, as gifts from God. You know, Christmas is all about gift giving and we all are fine with that. We plan a lot of things around that period, that time when we have a tradition, whether it be Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, whenever it is, when you and your family, your loved ones exchange gifts. So I wanted us to look at the components of the covenant that God made with us and the fulfillment of it in Jesus as though these candles, these concepts really are gifts that are ours. First one that we lit several weeks ago that's represented by one of these boxes is the present of hope. I've chosen the passage from Romans chapter 4, verse 18. For there in that passage it says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Now, this goes all the way back to that covenant we talked about that God made with Abraham. His name was Abram at that time. God changed his name to Abraham, and we call him Father Abraham, the father of the the Hebrew nation. And this quotation that Paul, writing to the church at Rome, lifts out from that covenant in Genesis is representative of the gift of hope. We've defined hope as that confident expectation concerning the future. And if ever there was a time for hope, it would have been in Abraham's day. And it's in our day as well. I appreciate the Message Bible. It translates this verse in this way. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Hope, it's a gift. And inside, we find what we can relate to hope as a planner. You notice that it has no bloom. I mean, it's, I don't want to tilt it too far, but there it is. It's dirt. I was told and promised that someone put a seed in this dirt but I don't see it. I'm not sure if it's there. But hope is knowing that even though you may not see it, even though it may seem that there's nothing here but a planter full of dirt, that there is hope, there is growth, there is a future right here. You think about Abraham. 
It says, in hope against hope. Even when things were hopeless, the scripture says. Look at his life. What was hopeless to him? God had promised to him back in the past that his descendants would number the stars. That would mean that he would have a child. But yet, there was no child at this time. It was hopeless because he realized that he and his wife Sarah were way past the age of childbearing, much less rearing. But hope was his focus. Joseph and Mary. What do you think Joseph was feeling during all these episodes, all these prophecies, all these changes? Looks from one aspect that he could have been greatly embarrassed having a fiancé, which in that day and time, betrothed to be married meant that you were essentially married, and yet she was expecting. I mean, it wasn't his child. Hopeless? But you see, hope is seen beyond that which we cannot see, knowing that there is a future. I've told you on several occasions, I've realized it again this week, had two funerals in our church family this week. We go to gravesides. And for years, the vocabulary I would always use was we go to a graveside to bury. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we go to a graveside and we plant. So believers don't bury their loved ones. We plant. Because when you bury something, you walk away with no hope, with no mind for growth. But when you plant something, you walk away knowing that there will be growth, there will be new life, there will be something come from what looks like just a planter full of dirt. That's what hope is. And it's a gift that God gives to us at Christmas. But there's another present here, figuratively under our tree, really, on this table. Just saves time for me having to walk from the tree to here. And it's called peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Peace. Oh my goodness. It's a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. And no one even tried to put it together. They left it up to me. I mean, this is, it's impossible. I can separate out the colors that go together and try to do my best, but it's going to take forever to get this thing put together. Peace is not just the absence of pressure and conflict. Peace, according to Scripture, peace that is the gift that God gives to us, is more than the absence of conflict. It is his presence that 
surrounds us. It envelops us. It is that calmness in the midst of something that's got to be done that looks almost impossible. It's going to take quite a while. We can't put this thing together at a frantic pace. We can't be on edge. We need God's presence surrounding us in the midst of the pressures that we feel. Think about it this way. Jesus was called the Prince of Peace in that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. But we have the opportunity to give peace to others. How so? When we're willing to pray for other people, when we say, I'm praying for you, what are we giving them? Among many things, we're giving them peace. In the midst of the diagnosis that was dire, in the midst of the pressure of when's the next job going to come my way, in the midst of how am I going to get out of this hole I've dug myself and put myself, this position that I put myself in. When we pray for people, we are giving them the presence of God, not just the absence of conflict. In the midst of that conflict, we're giving them that assurance. When we serve someone, acts of service, when you and I take upon ourselves to do what needs to be done, not putting ourselves first, but putting others first, what are we doing? We are giving them the presence of God. That's peace. When we give generously, I'm talking about of our possessions. When we model what it means to return back to God, what rightfully belongs to him, all of it anyway, what are we doing? We're not just helping pay bills. We're not just helping the church to be in a good financial footing, though that's important. But we're giving God's presence, his peace in the midst of, I can't think of anything more stressful than financial mishaps. And you? But the one that comes to my mind, the one that bothers me the most, the one where I have the hardest time giving peace to others, is probably the most important. For when I offer forgiveness, what am I giving a person? I'm giving them the presence of God. When I quit holding people hostage because of the wrongs that they've done to me, when I quit nursing the seed that has grown into full-grown bitterness, when I forgive, I'm giving peace. Not just the absence of conflict. I'm giving God's presence that's what we need. That's why that gift, this gift, the putting together of whatever it is in your life that's got to be put together, that's only going to happen a few steps at a time. I've got two of them put together. We need the presence of God. And he offers it. It's peace. 
But that's not it. We got two more. Last week, we lit that candle of joy. 1 Peter 1, 8. I love this passage. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is Peter, one of the 12. When he's a senior adult, he's toward the end of his life. He's writing a letter that's to a widespread audience. In other words, any, any person that wanted to get a hold of this and read it, Peter says it's addressed to you. So churches all over the known world were reading these words. And what were these people? These people were believers after the fact. Peter could say, I saw the Lord. I touched him. I spent years with him. He says, but even though you do not see him physically, but you believe in him. And even though you don't see him now, you what? You live a life You rejoice greatly with joy that's almost inexpressible. You remember that idea of joy is that regardless of circumstances, joy is constant. So this gift box, it says joy. It's for you and it's for me. (laughs) It's a thermostat. Think about it. It could be 105 degrees outside, and we know good and well it will be. Or it could be below freezing outside. But in this room, the temperature is constant. Now, I don't want to hear what constant means to you. You know? All you got to do is hit the button, put it on the right temperature setting, and it doesn't matter what's going on outside. It can be any extreme, but where the thermostat is, the temperature is constant. Now, I will admit in past churches, we solved the problem of people having different opinions by putting one of these on the wall hooked up to nothing. And everybody could come. Back then, it was a dial that you turned. And they could turn the dial to 80. Or they could turn it into 65. And they felt better already. And they hadn't done anything. (laughs) Joy. Doesn't depend upon outward circumstances. It's constant. Now, you think about that. You think about that in your own life. Do you live a life of joy? Do you understand that God has given you this spiritual thermostat that if you'll just focus upon it, if you will just make this part of your life, that when those times of stress come, when those situations are beyond your control and you feel like you're going to just throw in the towel and give up, when you come back and realize that God does care, And that when you go through those times and you're unhappy or when you're ecstatically happy because something good that's happened to you, those things are going to change. They can change just like that. But it doesn't matter when it comes to the joy. It's constant. It's an incredible gift. And it's ours. 
Let me see. Hope, peace, joy, love. Oh, this, this, this word is so overused. No telling where you land on what this word means. We talked about it before that you got these other words that we all <clears throat> use the word love for. You got the word like. You have physical attraction. You have brotherly affection for mankind. And all those words come together. But love, God's love, it's unique. It's got its own word. It's agape. Whenever you hear that word, agape, it's almost an English word to most of us. We've transliterated it over and over again. But it's reminding us of the love of God, sacrificial love, love that asks nothing in return. It's our gift from God. Hmm. It's a certificate of adoption. I want to show you a very brief video clip. I want to set the stage for it. It's true, not contrived. It's one of those you can tell was taken with the phone. When you're taking video with your phone, you turn it this way. You leave it like this, it has those black spots. So you're going to have to kind of focus in on that because whoever took it, took it like this, but that's okay. It's a family. Doesn't matter their last name. It's a family who provided foster care for a little girl. And it just so happened that this foster family intended to adopt this child, and they got word about this adoption being final, the certificate, if you will, legally adopting that child. So just so happened to fall on this little girl's birthday. So they're having a birthday celebration, and they've saved one present, one gift for last. There's one more gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you careful open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. Okay, I can't take it anymore. Adoption. You see, folks, this adoption certificate represents love. I mean, if you have lived through this experience, and there's several families in our church who have, then you know the huge price that you pay to adopt a child. I'm talking monetarily, 
money. I'm talking interviews, incessant interviews with authorities. I'm talking home visits. I'm talking trips that you may have to make halfway across the world, if not completely around the world, to adopt a child. Tremendous amount of commitment that can only be described as love. Nothing but love. And if you're on the receiving end, this child was so overwhelmed because she'd been a foster child for many years, which is a good stopgap, but that carries with it so much uncertainty. And just the fact that she was adopted changed her life. That's love. That's love. Nothing more and nothing less. And the amazing thing about the first century world is when you were a part of the Roman Empire, which everybody in the world was back in that day and time, if you had a natural child and you got mad at him, you could disown him. You could disinherit that son that didn't obey you or that daughter who just showed disrespect. You could just like that disown them. But an adopted child, you could never disown. They had stability. They had rights for all their life. So you begin to see that this gift of love that's ours, because every single one of us on the pages of the New Testament, we are told that we are all what? Adopted into God's family. He has brought us in and made us his own. And he will not disown us. He'll love us. So I think that's pretty incredible. These gifts. Words that we've heard, but are they words that we've actually ever really considered and lived out? Because they are his gifts to us. In the first light of a new day No one knew he had arrived Things continued as they had been While a newborn softly cried But the heavens, wrapped in wonder Knew the meaning of his birth In the weakness of a baby They knew God had come to earth As his mother held him closely It was hard to understand That this baby, not yet speaking was the word of God to man He would tell them of his kingdom But their hearts would not believe They would hate him And in anger 
They would nail him to a tree. But the sadness would be broken as the song of life arose, and the firstborn of creation would ascend and take his throne. He had left it to redeem us. But before his life began, he knew he'd come back, not as a baby, but as the Lord of every man. Hear the angels as they're singing on the morning of his birth. But how much greater will our song be when he comes again? When he comes again, hear the angels as they're singing on the morning of his birth. How much greater will our song be? When he comes to rule the earth, rule the earth. Father, thank you for these gifts. May we never take them for granted. May we know that the story that will never change, that we never get tired of it, that we never get bored with its details, that we always bring it to the forefront of our conversations with people who don't know you. These things we pray in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Decisions, choices. I mean, you know, these gifts are laying here, right out here. But you've got to come take them. You've got to open them. You've got to receive them. That's why we wrap up this hour with an invitation, an opportunity for people like you and me to say yes. To say yes to the claim of Jesus upon our lives. So we're going to stand in a moment and sing a song of invite, of commitment, of invitation. There'll be ministers and deacons standing here. We're just ask you to say yes. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, Savior and Lord. Oh, you've heard the story, but you've never personalized it. You've never asked Jesus to lead you. We give you that opportunity. It's a choice. It's a prayer you pray. No one can do it for you. But we can certainly support and help and pray for you. 
If you're here today and you know the Lord hadn't told anyone, tell us. If you're here, you've never followed him in believer's baptism, let's talk about why there's water up there. And let's explain and help you to understand why that symbol is very important. It's what Jesus told us to do. If you're here and you're looking for a place to call your own, a church to belong to, here we are. Churches all around us, great churches. Find one where you can plug in, where you can serve. And then for most of us, this pause in the year, a lot of us have breaks in our schedule. We'll get some time away, go on a trip, whatever the case may be. But what do these gifts really mean? How would they change your life? How do they change what you say, what you do? If you're serious about following him, I mean, he's pursuing us. He's going to keep on chasing us, pursuing us. He's never going to give up on us, but it's our choice. So respond with obedience. And do it now. I ask you to stand with us as we sing. We wait for you here.